Hey, Pep. Yo, 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 yo. So there's a pretty, uh, there's a pretty big thing happening right now. Um, it's a a race. Is this like a race to the finish line? In uh, in a very, very um, metaphorical way, in a very literal way, um, it's a presidential race. Oh, that sounds boring, but also very interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, you would think it would be boring, but it seems to be the the hottest topic of since I've been alive that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's hot like a potato that came out of the microwave. It's like a couple of hot potatoes racing to the finish line, and the first one that gets there gets to be the fries, and the other one gets to be mashed. That that that's beautiful. That I loved it. I like that. I figured you would. It's potato analogy. You know, and also what's interesting about that analogy is both are still edible. That's a really good point, and I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. And I, you know, I I actually have some questions for you about um about the election, but more about the political process in general. I'd love to to kind of dig into with you. Oh, okay, I'll question you too. You're not getting off the hook. Oh no, I'm a worm. Ah. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I guess we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you could join us. Uh, Nate and I have been having a pretty in-depth conversation here, and then uh, we just kind of decided we should probably turn on the mics because I I was interested in it, and that's all that matters to me. To put it this way, it's, it seems like we should be recording this. I'm like, oh, there's only like five minutes left to this conversation. What? No. And then we went up for like another 30 minutes or so. Pretty much. So we'll, we're going to try and jump back into this, and uh, hopefully uh, it's somewhat entertaining. Um, so something that, that you've been saying here is that, and and that's been a big theme that I want to really dig into is whether the, the president should represent the people and you're saying no. So to give some context to this, there is the idea of democracy and within the idea of democracy, what is being claimed or what is it doesn't necessarily have to be claimed about democracy, but it is claimed that since you vote for your representative, that the representative ought to represent the will of the people, and they ought to be a representation of the country. And there's good reasons to you know make that claim as far as the democratic process goes. But where I kind of question that is, is that actually should that actually be the case? Should the president represent the people? Should there be a figurehead which represents the people? Should there be someone who represents me? Now, coming at this from a very individual point of view, I don't think I want anybody to represent me anywhere, unless it's someone of my own choosing and a personal kind of choice I make. I don't want someone representing me. I don't want someone representing all of everybody else at all at the same time. I don't think that's, you know, number one possible, but also I don't think that's a legitimate goal. I think that that point is more or less irrelevant because whether you want it or not, that's the case. Whoever is chosen to be the president is going to be representative of you. Whether you feel it's representative of you is irrelevant because when you look outside of our country or even inside of our country, 
like let's let's take outside first so somebody from from uh england you're talking to them and they're saying what the heck is going on over there in your country you are immediately put on the spot for any decisions that are made by your president because you're a part of the country that elected said president so whether they represent you or not doesn't matter because it's still your country you are tied you are bound to them within the country the president has so much power and sway at very least in a psychological manner in that they're giving speeches they're going to other countries and they're representing us in that way that when a president gives a speech they're the one who are remembered in history and they're the one who have this platform to be able to cause sway within our country you don't ever hear about a famous congress speech that was given or if you do very very few i can't think of any off the top of my head but presidential speeches those have those have meaning those have substance those last throughout the ages so i think that whether you want somebody to be representative of you or not is irrelevant to the fact that the president does represent you both externally and internally so there's a lot there and Certainly, I agree with you that, you know, from a effect point of view or from a natural point of view and a reality, po reality point of view, the president does represent the country and that people outside the country will see me as being represented by the country or by the figurehead of the country. So let's say someone in France says, or, you know, what's up with your president? You know, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? I'd be like, I don't know, you know, I don't really have much control. And it's certainly true that that's how it's perceived. And it's certainly true that the president has a huge, huge amount of power and that they are remembered, that they have a huge effect on the country. But this is the very reason why I would be opposing that very idea, because I don't believe that one person should have that kind of effect, or at least that kind of effect through a democratic process. And this dude kind of disjunct this here, because some people would say a democratic process would be the legitimate process to or through which this would occur. So for someone to have such power, they have to be given this power through democratic process. Now, it's hard to say whether anyone should have this much power at all. So that's one claim that needs to be kind of dissected there. Should anyone have this amount of power at all? And should this person be representing all people? So to summarize my point, I don't doubt your claims this person has that kind of powder, power. I don't doubt your claims that they are seen as a representative of me, and many people will claim that they represent me and represent themselves. But what I'm making the claim is that ought not be the case, that I don't support that kind of political system. I put support that kind of model and that I would advise against it. Now, perhaps this is a very individual thing for me because other people are very proud to say or very uh, fine in saying that this person represents me or that they accept the actions of their political leaders as being an extension of the actions of their own. But I don't accept that. And I would argue that this is not a system I'd want in place. But the fact of the matter is that at the moment, this is the system that we have in place. Yeah, yeah. How would it make sense to be arguing against this and to take pro part in that process? So this is kind of similar to, say, being against certain rules in a game and kind of, you know, protesting against these rules, but still playing the game. These, I don't want to be playing this game. I want to be playing another game. This is not the thing I want to be doing. But are you taking any action to drive us towards playing another game? Or are you just sitting on your hands and saying, well, I don't want to play this game, but everybody else can? That I am, but that action is very long term. I mean, 
this is kind of one of the weird paradoxes of being against kind of not being against democracy because this gets a little confusing because am I against democracy? Well, not necessarily. Am I against political representation? Yes, in a lot of ways, I'm against political representation. So the kind of paradoxical thing here is that if you are, say, against voting or voting for a political leader, you would not oppose that by voting yourself because, you know, you're against voting. Why, Why would you vote to oppose voting? That would be kind of contradictory. So the only way to oppose it would be to not vote. So... I'm not saying this is any kind of political strategy myself. But in all the while that you're choosing not to play the game, the game is still being played around you. So, and it's still affecting you. So, like, you, you may choose not to move, but you're still going to be, you're, you're still a part of the game as a whole. And everything else that's happening and everybody else, that gives everybody else power more power over you by you giving up the small amount of power that you may have well i'd question two things there one is whether i have power at all there's arguments to be made that uh for very influential people that they have a lot of power to sway elections or to put them in different kind of you know areas so take uh john stewart for instance john stewart can probably get about two hundred thousand people to vote and probably vote in a particular direction Whereas I myself only have one vote. From a statistical point of view, my vote doesn't mean anything. Like, there's many different factors to consider as far as the election and how the votes are tallied and everything. And many economists have kind of run the numbers. And the probability of my vote actually mattering in this election is very, very nil. Now, I do admit, of course, that there is there are people who have very large amounts of sway, John Stewart being one of them. And maybe his vote only counts once at the voting booth. But if he gets 200,000 people who would have not vote, vote in one particular direction, well, that, that that's a big difference there. I definitely agree that uh, one vote is pretty much irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. I, I That is something that I would not disagree. But I think that the ability to vote matters in the fact that whoever is elected has power. They're not just a figurehead. I mean, the real the real power for the decisions is in Congress and in your local governments, which nobody really actually votes for any of that stuff that I know of. And that's actually held by a vast minority, those decisions, which is ironic that the big decision makers are the ones who are not being voted on and the one who's really a figurehead is being voted on. But that figurehead holds some of the biggest powers and is the one who socially represents us the most. And that's why I think it's so important who we elect because the the person that we elect shouldn't necessarily represent us as a country, as a, as a people, as we are now. They should, they should represent where we can be, who we can be as a people. Like, let's say that the majority of the country wants to go... Uh, on a fork in the road to the left, and to the left is a a bad dark path, and to the right is a very bright path. And if the leader can make the decisions that lead us on the right path, then that's going to give us uh, that's going to push our country in a better direction. So while it might not represent what the majority wants, that person is making the decision that's best for the country. 
and best for all of the people as a whole. So it might not be a representation of us individually, but it's somebody who can make decisions and can represent where we can be, where we want to be, where we ought to be. See, this is assuming the person ought to represent you and is representing you. And I, again, I would claim that the person ought not represent me or don't want this person to represent me. And also that they shouldn't have that kind of power. And to kind of flip this on its head, let's say I was in that John Stewart position where I could sway 200,000 people to vote for someone to gain that kind of power. That, that wouldn't make much, much sense because, number one, I'd have power to sway a political election. And why do I want that? And also be swaying power to someone who has greater power. So this, this, this would be like a, not a double negative, but a, not double negative in that cancels, but, you know, two negatives kind of combined, a summation of negatives, as far as like my perspective goes. There, there is a calculus that can be made, or there's a mathematical argument that could be made that if there is a particular leader who has certain qualities that they can steer a country into certain directions, and these directions can be either positive or negative, and that it would be preferential for those leaders or for that leader to steer us into a direction which is positive as opposed to negative, or to avoid leaders who might steer you into a negative direction. And there's no doubting that. But there's you know three different questions here. Number one, do we have influence over who that leader is? And that's a uh, statistical claim. There's claim number two, should that leader have such ability? And it's not just about positive, it's also about negative. So there's the idea that this leader could bring us to a great paradise. There's also the claim that this leader could bring us to a great uh, nuclear holocaust. And b both are equally you know, probabilistic. And then there's the third claim of uh, whether, whether you want that, such a leader to represent us or to represent me or whether it's a valid thing. And I, again, I wouldn't doubt that in the context of democracy, that, with, that if you are a believer in democracy, that if you believe that the person who is wielding that power ought to represent us, then this kind of makes sense. So voting for the lesser of two evils makes sense. Voting regardless of your, regardless of your effect on the election does matter because your vote essentially is a vote for the political process you support. If you yourself don't actually support that process, then what is the purpose of voting? If you are against that process, you can certainly say that, yes, this person might be better for our country, or this person might be worse as far as your own opinion goes, and maybe even as far as research goes. But is this a meme that you want to keep propagating of this person ought to represent us, and this person ought to make decisions which have these crazy implications, whether positive or negative? The idea that a single person can lead a country to greatness is certainly true. That is possible. But should such... Should one single person be able to do that? I think that leaders are extremely important and that I, I, th I think the biggest problem here is that you have a very, uh, very intellectual and, um, and, and individual mind. So you know that you can make good decisions for you and uh, that you can make educated decisions and um, you have a very, like I said, a very individualistic mind. But that's not true for the for all of a, a country. Uh, it, I mean, it sounds like you don't want somebody to lead a country as a whole because it's 
too much power. So where would you draw the line for too much power? Is it on the state level? Is it on the town level? Is it in a household level? At what point do you draw the line for giving somebody too much power? Well, to be very clear, and this is this is something that's kind of strange with uh, people who aren't introduced to political philosophy. The the state is a group who claim the monopoly of the right of force over a certain geographical location. So the United States government, they claim a monopoly on the use of force over these various uh, boundaries. And they say that uh, we are able to enforce the law, wherever the law is, and however the law comes to be, over these people. And that that is a lot of power. A monopoly of force is a lot of power. Now, that is kind of where I might kind of draw the line. And this is very kind of a, a philosophical kind of point. And this is, you know, would be described as kind of a libertarian point. Because there could be possible arguments being made, which is often made by a lot of people, which is the utilitarian, ar- the utilitarian argument, which is that the government is a necessary evil, which is to say that the benefits gained from a government are more beneficial than the negatives accrued by a group of people having a monopoly of force over this region. Now, from my own personal point of view, the power is, is amplified by force exponentially. It's, it's a huge factor. I wouldn't have so much of an issue with someone wielding power if that power was through argumentation. Now, now of course, this kind of goes to your kind of point where my point of view is more intellectual. It's more kind of uh, philosophical. Right. You're a very reasonable person. And when you have reason as a tool, that's that's perfect. But the monopoly of power is going to exist regardless if we were all really reasonable people and could hold, you know, a, a valid argument and then the the intellectual decision could be made based off of reason throughout the whole, let's just take a town, for example, that would be great. And I'm sure that's happened in the past and towns have thrived just like that. But then there's another town across the way that wants to trade with this town and they come over and they see that everybody there is being reasonable and all of a sudden they and they don't have reason on their end that is controlling them instead they have brute force brute force comes into the reason and brute force all of a sudden is the one that takes control brute force is going there's always going to be external factors pushing in towards um to try and gain power power is going to attract people who want power and that can work very positively or very negatively. So I think it would work perfectly if we were all trying to make intellectual decisions. But I think that that the intellectual decisions need to be decided on by people who can make those decisions with their power versus those who are using brute force to get that power. And I think that brute force is always going to try and push its way in to a system uh, that has power in the first place. Well, the the problem I'd have with that is that brute force is already in that dynamic. So the democracy even is brute force on a kind of governmental level. There's nothing that is changed about the monopoly of force. The law is still enforced through force. And this is through the, you know, the police, the military, 
and so on and so forth. Now, the argument is that this force is more justified when the people give their consent to it. And uh, the consent being some people voted in the past or maybe currently are voted to have these laws subjected against, you know, themselves. Right. And that's the majority. So there's, there's that question of, does that make it legitimate? So, so that's one question. But to, to, to even avoid that question, that the process of brute force is still there, regardless of whether it's one tribe across the way, you know, invading this reasonable tribe, or whether it is uh, just government doing it to everyone. Right. So, so and, and that can be very necessary. And so my question to you then is this. Is giving up some of your freedoms worth the security that you gain by doing so? Can, can you be more specific with uh, – would you mind giving up some of your freedoms being necessary? So um, let's say that we want the security that nobody goes hungry. So in a society, let's say that there's 10 people. And these, this is the society is 10 people. And these 10 people have the free will to do whatever they want. And they may very well get along just fine. But let's say that one of those people has all of the food supply and nobody else does. So they hold all of the power. Now, if we take those 10 people and we elect one person to represent and they are given all of the food supply and then they sh spread it out equally upon everyone that gives up the free will of you to uh to maybe barter with that person or to steal it from them or to go hungry and die but it also guarantees you that you're going to be fed so you're giving up the 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 freedom to 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 make those decisions on what to do with the with the food in lieu of letting everybody gain from it so that's an awful example yeah i'm not gonna pick it apart like because uh, so how i would answer that is to like take a step back and i would say that it's not my decision what to do about this person's food supply now this could go into a lot of different directions where uh, is someone more responsible if they're starving and if they steal from somebody's food supply? Because in that kind of state, the person's not really able to think rationally long-term or anything like that. You can't really blame that person for stealing. But if we're in a state of, say, uh, subsistence, I think might be the word, you know, making it by, do I have a legitimate right, or right's not the word, do I have a claim to that person's food? And am I giving up that right? Well, I never had that right to begin with. I never had that claim to that person's food. So it's not me giving up a freedom, but me rather, but rather taking on the role of democracy of voting whether I ought to have this person's food and coming to some decision about that. Even by taking that vote, I am claiming a right to this person's food. So a good example with this is, let's say that the Supreme Court is deciding on an issue and it's whether you ought to wear, uh, let's say, clogs. Or what's those, what are those things, those things called? You know, like those stupid shoes with the holes in them? I don't know, Crocs. Crocs, yeah. So let's say that the Supreme Court is deciding on an issue, whether Crocs ought to be banned, right? And whether people should wear them or not. So the issue with the Supreme Court voting on this is the very fact that them voting on this is kind of surmising or kind of presuming that 
they have the ability to determine whether people ought to and not ought to wear Crocs. Okay, so if it's something completely like ridiculous and ludicrous and and minor, if it's something that trivial, then no, I agree that powers like that shouldn't be given to to a group of people to make that decision for everybody. But let's say that you have a school zone and kids are getting hit by cars because cars are driving too fast. So we elect some people to uh, to make sure that nobody is speeding in that zone, that there's a speed limit, right? So you have a, a let's say we have a single sheriff who we pay as a group to sit there and do that. And as a group, maybe not everybody, but the majority make the decision that in that zone, we should drive slower for a specific reason that involves safety, protecting the children from getting hit by cars. That's giving up our freedom to drive as fast as we want down that road to benefit everybody, whether you have a kid or not. I don't have a kid, and I think that's a great idea to have a limited speed limit in a particular zone that is dangerous for other people. Now, driving on the interstate, I think that's a completely different thing. That within that example, there's no, there's nothing that necessitates a monopoly of force to be needed for that example, because you can have a multiple of wide, could have a wide variety of various systems, which could lead to the same result, where there's a school, people are getting hit by cars, or let's say kids are hitting, getting hit by cars, and that there ought to be a solution, that we want a solution to fix this problem, and that solution might involve you know, reducing the speed limit. So that problem is not necessarily, you know, um, you can imagine other contexts, other political systems, other, you know, ways of being, which are not necessarily exclusive to a democracy or exclusive to some other kind of political system. So I would agree that a, let's say the solution to this is to reduce your speed, right? There might be other solutions, but let's say that is the solution. And that solution ought to be enforced. Well, the question is, what is the mechanism of enforcement? So one mechanism certainly is to have a monopoly of force over the whole geographical region, which that school zone is located around. It could be maybe just around that uh, region, which is what I would argue for. But over the whole region, let's say the whole continental United States, and that this entity will be able to enforce that speed limit by pulling people over, charging money after they uh, resist arrest or resist paying the fine, you know, uh, removing them from that place. Now, my, my own preferential kind of argument would be that I don't claim a right to this road, to the school, to this property here. But if I owned that property myself, I would claim a right to what happens on that property. And similarly, if that property was co-owned by a number of people, and that school was coined on by a number of people, they would ex have the ability to decide upon that. Now, of course, much of the idea behind democracy, and um, I don't want to call this rhetoric because that might be a little too, uh, it, it, but it is kind of rhetoric because what comes at the end, what comes at the end is monopoly of force being enforced through the law enforcement. So there's the idea that we all kind of own the school system, that we own the roads, that we own this, but the government owns the roads. The government owns that. It's it's funded through taxation and we pay taxes and the politicians are elected through democratic processes. But this does not mean that we own the roads. So what I'm suggesting is that there's nothing necessarily uh, essential for that solution to be provided through the monopoly of force. Rather, it could just be the people who own it. So maybe I own the school, maybe I own the roads. And 
I say, if you're going to drive that fast on my road, you can't drive here. And of course, if someone breaks into your house or someone goes on your road without your permission, you can kick them off. Okay. And if they don't stop doing so? If they don't stop doing so? So let's say that you say you can't drive on my road and then they keep driving on your road fast anyway. Right. And this is this is a difference which is not different with the state. So it's a state control, monopoly of force over a certain region. And example with uh, personal kind of uh, property. So with personal property, it's, 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 it's results is the same. So you kick them off, you kick them off, you kick them off. You have to remove them by force maybe. And then, you know, you have to provide some sort of way of getting this person to stay off your property at all costs. And the answer is far, the answer as far as, uh, I'm not really proposing anything necessarily, but rather I'm just kind of providing an alternate solution to this or an alternate context for this problem. But these solutions, this in a in a uh, monopoly of force kind of situation would be, let's say the person drives fast the first time, you pull him over, you give him a warning, maybe it's a ticket. Does it a second time, okay, here's another warning, I don't want you doing that again. Third time, uh, it's gonna have major consequences. Do it a third time. And you kick him off, you impound his car, and you may put him in prison for, say, a month. And you're talking about if a police officer handles the situation. So everything is exactly the same, except you don't have a police officer. Every person has to manage their own property at all times. It wouldn't be every person has to manage their properties at all times. So there could be other systems with that as well. Because uh, what, I'm, what I'm arguing isn't necessarily too much different in a lot of ways, because... The government kind of comes with a whole set of services that come with it. And these services can be provided outside that context. And how the services work, how to be provided is, you know, another question. But at least as far as the theory of democracy goes, the same thing is occurring with democracy. So you have a want, you have a need, and you're putting money through taxes to pay this need. And this is a common need. So... You are, in a way, at least according to this theory, that you are a way of handling this as an individual by paying your taxes, by voting for certain laws, for voting for certain things. And you are enforcing this stuff through your action or, you know, your action as in, you know, creating tax revenue and stuff. And this isn't any different in this other context. Now, the how these services come to being and, you know, what they do and what they're accountable to and how they function would be a lot different. But there's, there's no real difference as far as how they work or how they... Uh, how they're influenced on private property it, it works the same exact way so you can call the cops to private property and they're the enforcers of your rules i don't want this person on my property they remove the person from the property they're the enforcers they're the people that you're paying to do that enforcing yeah there's no difference with that with private property yeah so there's no difference with that with say private enforcement or never non consent so there'd be no difference between that and non-governmental enforcement as well. And that's part of the similarities I'm trying to game, um, not game, trying to uh, simplify here. There's no difference as far as that goes. But the difference is that one is a group which is claiming a monopoly of force. So these are only people you can go to for that service. And maybe that's not true in all cases because you can obviously hire security malls, security cops and stuff, all that kind of stuff and private security. But... One is being provided by a group that claims a monopoly of force. So they claim a monopoly over these services or over this ability to do stuff and that ability is to enact force upon people. And then in another instance, rather, you have the ability to enact force upon people because it's your property 
and let's just accept that's a you know valid claim for this instance. So let's say this is my house. It's valid. I own this house, and I can kick people out if I want, and I can extend this right to other people by having someone else do this. Uh, a similar argument would be, let's say someone's getting uh, murdered, or not murdered, let's say someone's getting beat up, right? And I can't quite defend myself. Now, let's say that you see that, and you come in, you start beating the person up as well. Or let's say you start beating up the person. Well, that's legitimate from a point of self-defense because my right, because you're beating this person up on behalf of my, my right, my right to self-defense. In a similar way, you'd be contracting someone to you act on your right to ownership over your property, in this case, my house, and this person would just be you know, fulfilling that kind of contract. In the case of government, the government's claiming the, the right to do that over all places, regardless of whether you choose to or not. The, the whole concept that you're stating that the government claims right over force for everything, whether they own it or not. The government doesn't have right of force over your private property unless you've already broken the agreed upon contract that is held by all citizens. Well, yeah, but I'm also disagreeing with the idea of agreed by, you know, agreed upon by, because I'm trying to offer solutions or kind of a different kind of systems where there's no agreement upon, you know, the people around you. So it's maybe in this, but this is, but the school is, is joint by all of the people who have, who have children who go to that school. So do they not all have a say in in that piece of property? The the issue with the school is that the school isn't owned by a an individual. The school is owned by the public, and therefore the public should be making the decision on the school. Well, see that again. This is assuming a governmental system where the school is owned by the public, right? But you can imagine a system where the school wasn't owned by the public, and where this kind of system would be a little bit different. So. The, maybe the school's owned by a board, or maybe the school's owned by a board of people who are members of the community, or maybe some other system like that. And the idea of co- accountability is still there, but the idea of a monopoly of force enforcing those rules of being involved, or the school being for uh, school being funded by taxation is not there. The monopoly of force is even stronger there because you're monopolizing the force into a board or into a single owner of that school versus the force. And the decisions to make to act on force are being spread out to more people when you have something publicly owned. See, the monopoly of force is a little different there because the monopoly of force is over property you own. So the, that's the distinction I'm trying to make as well. So it's property you own, it's property you don't own. And this could get into like a rabbit hole as well. So you're saying that the monopoly of force should only be held by those who own that said property? Yes. because Okay, th- that's very easy way to say that. I mean... I don't want to be like a, like I've been stating that kind of, and maybe in loose terms or maybe not well enough. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll t- but I, I have been stating that all along, I believe. I, I don't disagree with that, but the way you've been saying it has been very big and I needed it shrunk down in my little head. Oh, no, this is not a problem because a lot of the ways I'm trying to convey what I'm trying to say is not proposing any one solution because I, I don't know what a solution would be in this kind of context. So... But the problem is we need solutions in order for our society to run. So not proposing a solution is not helpful. I would rather have a bad solution proposed than have no solution proposed. See, this is what I agree with, right? So I would agree that we need some kind of solution, and I want many people trying out many different solutions. And I want the bad ones to lose, and I want the you know, good ones to win. 
And the question is, what kind of uh, political system or what kind of non-political system or what kind of how can we get there? What kind of would allow us to do that? And a group of people who claim to not be a force is certainly a way to do that. And like, I'm not even arguing that there might not be value in a monopoly of force. So there's very smart people in government institutions. There's very smart people in academic institutions. There's been a lot of experiments and kind of research done on, say, traffic systems and how to have traffic kind of operate very, very smoothly and very, very efficiently. And they've come up with some very, very good research and very, very good implications of the traffic systems. There's no doubting that there's been good done by that. But there's also the other question of, you know, was that necessary to do that? Could there have been another system which would have come up with the same results or better results, or maybe maybe they would come up with worse results? Uh, and there's, a, there's an infinite amount of possibilities of how things could be done, could have been done, could have been done, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, when you get down to it, a decision needs to be made, and then we can evaluate said decision. Is your problem that we're not evaluating said decision? We, we're all pretty much in agreement that the election system as it stands right now, given the amount of power being given to that single person is too vast. The majority agree on that, and yet it's not being changed? Well, I, this, is, this is the very individualistic part of me coming out, of course. And I would say that the influence of your decision needs to be as minimized to yourself as possible. And this is not to say that you can't operate as a group, that you can't operate as a collective, but that if you have a solution to a problem and implement the solution, if, and if you implement that solution and the solution fails, that failure is on you. It's on your result. Well, no, I definitely understand. And I, I, I agree that the more centralized and localized and individual you can make your decisions that they only affect you, the better. But the problem with that is that we're so interconnected that that's it, it just doesn't work like that, especially where we're at right now as a society. Now, uh, let's say that you have um, you have a town, right? And that town is friendly with all the other towns around it, but then another one comes in and wants to start trouble. So do so if you're working together, you have more power to resist force against you. But if you're working individually, that force has a much better chance of overcoming you, especially if that force is working with other forces. So if one town gets together with five other, other towns to attack a small town, they're going to take it over. But if those five go against 10 towns that are all teamed up together, then they have a much better, the 10 towns have a much better chance of resisting that force. So working together on a on a larger scale can help prevent against physical attack and and force being used against you. And when you get to the point of being as big as a country, as big as we have 50 different states all united, and because we're all working together, we have one person helping to direct the forces that we're as a team all pooling together to direct towards our enemies. So there's not a lot I would disagree with that statement or that, that, that argument as far as, yes, people working together as a collective in that kind of way will have better results than, you know, individuals kind of defend themselves. You know, if, if uh, someone kind of tries to rob me and it's just me, I don't have very much protection. If it's a whole gang of people, very, very little. But if I, own, if I have my own posse with me, 
you know, not only am I not going to get robbed because I have these people defending me, but they're probably not even going to like look at me. They're probably not going to see me as a target. So that's definitely true. But the question is, what is the mechanism at work there? So in the case of something that I would be more in favor of, it'd be individuals choosing to work as a group, as a community with themselves, right? So each individual wants to do this. Now, similarly, you can achieve the same effect as, say, a monopoly of force forcing people to kind of work together against a common enemy outside through individuals just cooperating with themselves. Now, of course, you could have uh, these kind of instances where maybe not everyone communicates or not, not everyone cooperates with each other. And, you know, you have a hard time getting people together, you know, battling against, battling against this outside force. That is definitely a potential problem, and that's definitely a potential issue of not having a monopoly of force to force people to, you know, uh, try to go against people within outside of your region. That is definitely a potential issue, and there might be particular solutions to that. Might be, might not, might not. Well, I'm not suggesting that you should be forced into being being protected. I'm suggesting that if if you that you have a better shot working together if you don't buy into that if you want to take your chances on your own you're more than welcome to but working together has its benefits and when you have all of these places and people pooling their resources together there needs to be some direction to how those resources are utilized mm. so the argument is not necessarily that there needs to be force involved but that uh there should be a centralized hub where these resources are directed and stuff is managed. Exactly. See, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And where, where I run into trouble here is there's no reason why a government would have to do that. Why a monopoly of force would be the only solution to that problem. Cause you could have solutions where there's a entity, which is not a monopoly of force providing that same solution to the same community. And provided that all the people within that community want that particular result, and the people who don't kind of obey that or don't go, go along with that are, you know, excluded from the protection or whatever, how you want to say it, that the solution or not the solution, the, uh, the result is the exact same in kind of a theory. Okay. And, and that's all fine and good. But the problem is that if everybody's paying into the same central source that is providing the direction... And then some people choose not to pay into it, but they live within the societies that are paying into it. There's no way to not protect that individual. Everybody has to be protected under an umbrella. So maybe we all, there's 10 people on the beach and nine of them want, want an umbrella. And one of them's like, well, if I get a sunburn, it's not a big deal. But in order for it to, to, in order for those nine people to put up the umbrella, it's going to protect that 10th person as well, whether they want them or not, whether the 10th person wants it or not. So they're reaping the benefits regardless of whether they want it or not. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, free rider problem, as, as it's termed. And that, that's a, definitely a problem, and it's a problem that is, in a way, solved by having a monopoly of force, force people to pay for a certain service, you know, whether they want it or not. Or in this argument, the people want the service, but they don't want to pay for it. And could there be solutions other than a monopoly of force to kind of have people who benefit from a service pay for it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And maybe that's a decision people have to kind of come to a calculation themselves on. 
So let's say 95% of people will, uh, you know, pay the certain service for a certain protection, right? Let's say from an outside force. Mm-hmm. Let's say 5% don't. Well, the 95% might decide that, yeah, this 5% are freeloaders. We don't like them, but, you know, whatever, fuck them. You know, there's not much we can do because this is the best we can do with this system. And we don't want to implement, we don't want to implement a monopoly of force to solve this problem. So that might be a solution to that. Maybe, maybe there is a problem and it's a real problem, but for the most part, uh, it still doesn't diminish the funding going to that. I agree it is a problem, but how that problem is solved or handled might be different or even perceived, depending on your context. Well, ignoring it hardly seems like a solution at all. It wouldn't be so much ignoring it, but rather acknowledging it's there, trying to find ways to minimize it, and uh, beyond that, just trying to do the best you can within that context. Because it's... it's, I I mean, I'm going to talk from my own kind of uh, personal view on this, because I don't know if there might be a real solution to this problem because even U.S. democracy has not found a solution to this problem. The free rider problem is still way, way at heart in the political system and how taxation works. And that's not to say it's bad, it's not to say it's good, I'm not making any judgments, but there are still plenty of free rider problems that have not been solved, even with a monopoly of force being present. But it can be minimized that way. You're not going to catch all of the shoplifters, but if you catch 9 out of 10 of the shoplifters, maybe, and, or if you catch 8 out of 10, maybe one of those people are going to be deterred from doing so because they see the punishment being laid down. So, and then the other one gets away with it. So now you've minimized by 90%, and only 80% of that had to be through force. There had to be force, yes. But the the point there being that... you can't just lose that, lose all of that, the product, the money right then. You need to put a stop to it then. But uh, could there be other solutions? Yes. The quickest, easiest solution is to use force. And then while you're using force, while you're preventing it, if you can find another solution, that would be ideal. But in the meantime, you have to stop the bleeding. Yeah, so that's a very pragmatic answer. And also, I, I agree with it in a lot of ways with uh, society. So th- this is where I would see kind of society leading or kind of coming from. So we started out as a very kind of barbarous kind of uh, culture, or, you know, in general, you know, very warmonger. Some people traded, some people didn't do much with other cultures, but there is a history of conquering other people. And in these kind of systems, in these kind of uh, environments, having a group which has the monopoly of force over the entire group or the entire region which this group kind of you know kind of controls makes a lot of sense. It's it's there's no there's no other like way around that. But as we I want to say progress, but as we get more and more developed, more and more sophisticated with our technologies and so on and so forth, that a solution might be provided which does not rely on the implementation of force. It may have, you know, voluntary solutions to it. And as far as you saying that you are willing for that solution to become about, and maybe this is what we need right now, perhaps that's true. Now, I am advocating or wanting a voluntary solution to come out as soon as possible. So that's what I'm pushing for. I'm not pushing for the, the, um, the application of force right now. Rather, I'm saying we need to figure out some other way right now. But I can certainly say it's needed in the past. Right now, I'm saying maybe it's not needed at this point. Now, <laughs> now to be honest, this is where 
things might get a little confusing. So let's say that things are extremely clear that some country is being invaded. Let's say that some country is invading the United States and this country is very barbarous and they're going to do all this kind of stuff. Well, that puts us into a situation back during the you know 500 BC era where we're in the same situation where I said that force was justified you know, to kind of create this kind of social cohesion to fight against this outside force. And maybe that solution would be necessary to be put in place because we're not yet at that point. I could I could go with that. But at this kind of political point or this kind of historical point, I don't I wouldn't say that that solution is needed or that, that implementation is needed and that rather we should move on from it. But until we have like let's say that that you have the shoplifting and you use force to stop the shoplifting to stop the bleeding so that you can come up with a better way to resolve the issue but you haven't come up with a better way to resolve the issue you don't just stop using force and let people take things again you have to come up with a better a better way to resolve the issue before you can replace the current way and until i hear solutions that come up with a better way just saying there are solutions there could be solutions is not enough just saying we don't need that anymore is not an, because there we should be pushing for other solutions is not enough we should be pushing for other solutions but until we find other solutions we have to go with what is working now see and i don't i don't disagree with that in a lot of ways because I mean, again, I don't agree with implementation of force in this kind of context, and I believe there are better solutions, but it is true there's no better solution, or at least no better solution being implemented at the moment, right? I don't believe that the first step to any kind of uh, thing is just to implement it. Rather, it's to rather dissect a problem and see if this is a problem that needs to be even addressed. So I am saying that this is a problem, and this is a problem that needs to be addressed, and that there are potential potentially other solutions to look at. And at least from a uh, kind of political point of view or social point of view, it's very, very difficult just to implement solutions just like that. Rather, you have to convince people over time and you have to say, you know, this, this you know, procedure we have to address this problem may not be efficient. It may not be very good. It may not be the best and it might be better to go there. Now, otherwise, people might just think this is the best thing we have or this is what just works. You know, there's no other solution that we can think of. But what you need is to, if you don't believe that is the right solution or that there might be better solutions, maybe there aren't, you have to start questioning the idea of that being a solution or being the best solution. You have to start have to find faults with it. And I'm not saying this from like a uh, kind of a point of view where you're, you know, you've decided there is, this is the bad solution and then we need to find faults with it and so on and so forth. But rather I'm arguing that it's not the best solution and that there would be better solutions to this problem. And I'm not disagreeing with that. And you're saying that some that you need to over time convince people that the new solution is better. It's not just going to immediately go into place the second it's thought up. And I don't disagree with that either. But let's say that you get shot, right? And the first thing you do is you take a cloth and you put it over the wound and you apply pressure. And that stops the bleeding somewhat. You're still bleeding. There's still a problem. And then someone there's no other solution that you know of yet because stitching hasn't been invented yet. And then somebody comes along and, and thinks up the idea of stitching. 
and you're like that doesn't make any sense i'm gonna you're gonna take a needle and you're gonna poke more holes into me and then you're gonna put string in me that i'm not doing that no this one's working just fine i'm only bleeding a little bit see eventually i'll die from it but it's not a big deal so you're hesitant to do it because it's not proven yet and that's like what you're saying with other people might be hesitant to do it because it's not proven you can't just implement this thing no this is the best way so there's two options, right? Option one is force. We could hold you down, stitch you up, and show you, no, this is the best way to do it. Or we can stitch up somebody else. We can implement it to somebody who's like, okay, I see what you're going with there. Or you can say, uh, okay, uh, I'm willing to try anything because I know I'm going to die like this. You get somebody willing and you implement it with them. And then when the people who aren't convinced see that it's working, that will convince them to go forward with it. And that's a lot of what we do now with laws, like let's take legalization of marijuana. So they do it in Colorado as kind of a, and the rest of the world looking on, or the rest of the country's looking on saying, how's it going? How are things going? And then, or maybe a town within a, a state is legalizing it medically and then another town does and then another one does so we are doing these things that's the whole political process is i agree it can't just be implemented you need some places that are bleeding bad enough that they're willing to try to resolve this issue in another way but if they're not bleeding bad enough if it's just a minor scratch you don't need stitches for a scratch you just need to apply some pressure and wait so I think that in some situations, there are times when force is necessary in order to, to make these people who are shot really bad and are going to die otherwise, you need to hold them down and stitch them, whether they want it or not, because it's what's best for them. And then in other situations, it's okay to let them see over time, okay, I see that stitching is working for these three other people. I, I will take that treatment now too. And it's, do you do what's best for somebody and force them to do what's best for themselves? Or do you let them make their own decisions and chance the fact that they might die? So th that's, a, that's a great metaphor, by the way. Uh, and I am mostly in agreement with you here. And of course, one distinction I would make and can make it right off the bat is that there's no reason why specific to the force, why a monopoly of force or a specific region would need to be implementing that force. But to, to continue on with this, let's say, let's say it is that kind of instance where someone's like bleeding out or something and someone says, okay, I'm going to save you. And they kind of implement this crazy kind of way against this person's will. That might be a justified implementation of force. Similarly, there's a kind of the classic example of, let's say, a man's about to cross the street, he doesn't see a car, and you kind of push him out of the way to save his life. So that is obviously using force against this person, but it's force in a positive way. Or let's say a third example. Let's say that someone is uh, drunk, and they're kind of stumbling around, and they're about to do something really stupid that's going to get them killed, or uh, kill someone else. Is it, uh, let's say you're going to start driving or something. Is it moral? Is it, you know, ethical to use force against that person to stop them? Well, yes. I, I would say yes. And there's certain criteria which this is allowed. So with the drunk driving example, you are stopping this person from acting in a way which will cert most certainly harm other people or potentially harm other people. It's almost like you... It's almost like... Let's just go with another example here. Too many examples, but... Way too many examples. Let's say... Let's say that I have a gun and this gun has one bullet in it. It's a revolver. And, you know, 
it's like Russian roulette, except I'm just kind of pointing around random people and just kind of clicking the trigger. Do I have the right to, or not the right, do I have the ability to use force against this person to stop them from doing that? I would say yes. Well, it's only a five out of six chance that he's going to actually shoot someone. Is it still right? Well, yeah, it's still morally permissible to use force against this person because he is potentially endangering someone. And this is a very clear and easy to see example. In similar ways, someone who is about to, you know, say die from being hit from a uh, car or about to bleed out because they are wounded by some kind of thing, it might be necessary to use force on them to save their life. Now, let's say that after they're like, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't need to save me. I, I didn't. I just wanted to die anyway. You're like, oh well, uh, here's here's a rock, or uh, I'll help you with that, or maybe, uh, well, okay, I don't know what I could do for you. But in general, pe- people will be appreciative if you actually help them in that kind of way. If you use force against them, this is one of those things where. Uh, especially, let's say, with the car example, which pushed someone out of the way, they're going to say, oh, thank you so much for doing that. They're not going to be mad you pushed them out of the way. They're going to be like, oh my god, you saved my life. I'm so happy. So after the fact, where they can come to a rational decision about whether the force was justified or not, they can say, this, this was justified. I would want someone to do that to me. And I think it's a big distinction. Also, one other little point here. And there might be the probability that using the force is not the solution. So let's say in the example where someone's bleeding out, you do some kind of other kind of thing. Let's say, okay, you're bleeding out, so I'm going to cut a hole in your head. Uh, this is a practice that was used back then for schizophrenia. But let's say this, this said, oh, I'm going to cut a hole in your head. This will help you out. And it just makes it worse, and then you end up dying. Or let's say they start doing other stuff that actually kills you. They give you, like, hemlock. So there are other solutions, which may be radical, which may be kind of uh, different, and forcing them on them is unethical or not unethical, it's not, should not be implemented because it is the wrong solution. Now, there might be a solution which happens to be the right solution, and usually you will have some kind of good argument, some kind of reason after the fact to justify why that solution was the correct one. I, I know there's a lot there, but there's a lot going on in this. So, your, it sounds like your argument is that force is only applicable when you know that it's going to be a positive resolution. Not when you know, because the idea of no is very hard to quantify, but essentially, yes. Because the the only thing that, that I would propose there is that if you're pushing somebody out of the way of a truck and you push them into a truck that's coming alongside that truck, then you effectively did nothing. Or maybe you they were they had the ability to jump back. And you thought you were saving them by pushing them forward, but it pushed them into the other truck instead, and you actually caused more harm. Even though in any other situation, that would be the right decision to make. Yeah, this is where the implementation of force gets kind of tricky. And this is why I kind of agree with you, but I'm also pushing back a little bit because it's hard to know whether it's the right decision to make. And also, you have these cases where it might be the right decision to make, but you make it, like with the example you just made, and it happened to be the wrong decision because of something you couldn't see. And that's where things get very, very difficult. And it's really hard to address that kind of problem because we're somewhat decent at seeing the future as far as like uh, basic physics go. And, you know, I guess quantum mechanics, which is very advanced physics. But as far as seeing like kind of political predictions and put uh sociological kind of movements it's very hard to predict that 
it can be, but there there are people just like in any field who do have a better understanding of that and who do know how things are going to react, uh, especially leaders. If you have a leader of a small force of people then, and you're able to direct them in a, in a direction that's going to be positive for them all and you can foresee exactly how that direction is going or how the way you phrase things or the actions that you take are going to affect said people and drive them in a positive direction, then that's a social political way that you can see the future. You can see how that's going to affect people the same way that you could as if you, as if it was physics, as if it was something that if I let go of this ball, it's going to fall to the ground. If I say this thing to this person, they're going to act this way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm on board with. So if you're making an argument to someone, or if you, I think we got two different themes going on, two different arguments. Cause we're way past our original argument, so yeah. it's all good. Well, because we have one, we have the argument about the about needing to apply force very quickly to enact certain social change, and then there's a secondary argument about enforcing, not enforcing, about arguing a particular position over time to change that situation right and and my argument is that sometimes one is applicable and sometimes others are applicable and that the distinction there is up in the air and it's a really hard one to make and that's the type of decision that leaders need to make and why sometimes we have to elect leaders or why sometimes leaders are beneficial because they have a better ability to make those types of distinctions of, okay, well, in this situation with this person, given the circumstances, force is necessary and vice versa. The problem with leaders is that you can have the ones that are good at it and then you can have ones that think they're good at it or other people think they're good at it and they're not. And finding the good ones is the really hard part. Yeah, I'd agree with most of that, but of course I'm going to disagree with the, uh, the need to force part. I mean, within the at least the governmental context and again this is not to say like we discovered that there's not situations where force might not be required to do certain things where you know uh someone's someone's drunk or they're someone's drunk is it going to drive start driving it's okay to remove that person from the scarf with force and it's okay for anyone to do that i think uh, unless they're a baby because they, they can't do that babies can't do shit fucking babies ah oh, god damn it babies. but they're cute and not really. Well, I think they are. Some babies are cute. But... Some, most babies. Some of them are like, uh, the hell's that thing? But, uh, I mean, my preference is certainly the argumentative side of things. And to, to be clear, because I might be a little lost uh, on the audience, I'm, I'm not against elections necessarily. I'm not against electing officials. But it's the context through which they're elected that matters. So if they're elected to a... If you're elected to be the representative of a monopoly of force and have some sort of power, whether it be the figurehead who kind of promotes certain ideas and represents the people they're elected by, or for whether it's uh, they have direct control over that entity, th being a monopoly of force, uh, that's far different to me than, let's say, I have a... Um, there's a group of people who own a property called, uh, I don't know, Sunny Hills Condominiums. And uh, Steve, why, why are you like cringing? <laughs> Go on, I'm ready for this metaphor. And, you know, making the proper, like, let's say, I don't want Susie to be the head CEO of this, you know, little CEO is a terrible word, the head chief officer of this kind of uh, area. <laughs> 
just use the same thing without without an acronym. Words are hard. <laughs> so I might be okay with electing an official then. Let's say that I'm on the board of some kind of uh, charity or whatever. I'm okay with electing people in that kind of context because it's a context in which I am claiming some ownership over this thing and that ownership is rightful. I'm not claiming ownership over a whole region that I don't necessarily own. Rather, you know, the people who have the business want me to vote on this matter and I'm going to vote on it. So you don't want power over something you don't own. Right, right. Okay, but what about when it's – and this gets right back to the whole point that we've been making this whole time. Sometimes there's pooled resources that need to be controlled over that have that umbrella over everybody, such as the military. So you have all of the states pooling together their money for one military to prevent from attacks. So one person guides that military or a group of people guide that military. Right. But in that case, I am. So, so in the case of the military, we'll say the governmental military. In that case, I am not providing that money necessarily voluntarily. Now, plenty of people might be providing their money voluntarily to this cause right so uh what's the stick the united states please what's the stick the police force and the u.s military so that's provided through taxes and the way taxation works i mean i'm not i'm not spelling this out because anyone's dumb but uh if you don't pay your taxes they will you know start giving you fines and start giving you warnings the irs will inspect you and if you don't comply with that they'll put you in jail so you don't necessarily have a choice to you know pay your taxes or not now, many people would voluntarily support paying their taxes, and this is part of the reason why I think a non-tax solution might be possible. Because let's say ninety percent, let's say ninety percent people want the service, and they're voluntarily willing to pay taxes for the service. Well, in the case, in that case, you don't really need to be forced to do it. So the whole idea of having have the whole idea of having to have a monopoly of force and force them to do it is kind of just big overhead. There's no reason to have that. Now, of course, there's those 10% of people who are going to be free riders or maybe 5% or whatever it is. And that's certainly the issue, but that service can be provided otherwise. Certainly within that organization, there's going to be a kind of hierarchical kind of point of view where leaders are going to make the most amount of impact. And this is probably the best kind of a organizational strategy I can think of. I mean, there might be other ways of organizing it. Some people think like uh, just a flat kind of view where there's no hierarchy might work better. I don't, I don't know. I think the top-down kind of way and that having you know people with great expertise and great knowledge might be able to make or break the organization. So how it's funded is what is important to me. I don't disagree that taxation is theft, which is what I think you're getting at here. But how is it any different than if five people own a piece of property and they can't all come to a decision on one thing and four out of the five say, well, I want to hire company X. And that one person says, I want to hire company Y. Company X is going to be hired. And then they all, but they all own that property. So are we saying that they're all agreeing to this process of deciding like this? I'm saying the majority is making a decision for all and all don't agree, but the majority is making the decision, which is what it comes, what it sounds like it's coming down to you not agreeing with. Because with taxation, the majority are voting for what taxes should go to where. And you don't like that the, that everybody has to pay in 
when not everybody agreed to it. You should only have to pay into what you agree on or and or what you are what you personally own. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> I was but, gonna say yeah, yeah, but much more. But there's not always a solution that's that's that simple to say uh, that the the majority the the system that we have set up is set up so that the majority makes the decision for everybody and it's it's majority rule and it because of the size of our country there's not really much of another solution at very least set out at the moment if there is another solution that somebody has come up with or somebody will come up with then maybe we can implement that in the future but until then this is the the process that we're using and to just not take part in a process that we're using simply because you don't necessarily agree with the process or you think that there are better solutions out there but you don't have one does not make sense because the the process is still there and it's still affecting you uh it, the process certainly is still there it certainly is affecting me and uh i gave various reasons why it's not very, I don't want to use the ra words rational, but this is the words that uh, certain economists would use where voting is a irrational kind of a move just because it's not statistically you know, significant. Not taking part in the political process is, not, by not voting, I don't, I don't think is a contradiction in this. I can still admit that the political process has an effect on me. Are, you're willing to accept the effect regardless because by not voting, you're willing to accept whatever is decided by the majority because you don't have a better solution as it stands and you're not willing to participate. Accept is probably it's, the wording is a little difficult because accepts maybe the right term, but it's not accepting what the majority is saying, but rather saying you're accepting the consequences, accepting the consequences. So. It's like if a if a rock kind of tumbles down towards me and hits me, I, I accept that rock hits me. I accept the consequence of the rock hitting me, but I don't accept I had control over that rock. In a similar way, if uh, a group of people in this kind of general area vote on a certain thing, and then that thing gets enacted, and then the police and the military or whoever it is starts enforcing that, it's kind of the same thing. I accept that the people voted it. I accept the system works in a way where what they vote on and what they come to terms with is going to be enacted through law. But I don't, of course, I accept that it's a solution, but I don't accept that I ought to take part in that, that process or, or that that process ought to be there at all. Statistically, your vote is irrelevant. And you don't, so you're saying that that's the equivalent of if a rock is rolling towards you, and it hits you, you accept that you have no control over that rock, the same way you have no control over the election just by casting a single vote. Right, right. So I don't have control over the political process. So what happens is what happens. Okay. So let's say that this rock is a boulder, right? And it's come and you you're blindfolded. You know it's coming at some point. And you have the option to hit a button which when you hit that button will lift a spring that launches that rock in the air. But it's only on the fraction of a second that the rock is over the spring. And you have no way of knowing when the rock is going to hit you, but you know eventually it's going to hit you. Would you not at very least at some point 
just hit the button and hope that the rock was over the spring and that it could save your life versus just accepting that the rock is going to kill you. Even though the statistical possibility that it would that the rock would be over the spring at that point is so minuscule, it's at very least worth hitting the button because there is no negative side effect to making that decision. There's only a possibility, however small, of a positive side effect. I mean, that's a pretty good argument, I'd say. And um, of course, if there was a possibility of that being the case, I, of course, would hit the button. There's no doubt in that because, you know, in that case, I'm kind of panicking. Oh, shit, I'm going to die. <laughs> And my argument is that with the political system, you're not putting enough weight on the decision that's being made. You're not thinking that that the decision – it sounds like you're kind of indifferent. You think that both of the candidates that are being chosen upon are more or less the same or the decision is irrelevant which one is chosen. Yeah, that, that's, that's part of it. This, this, is, this is the part of the problem. This is part of the problem with this uh, topic in general, and that there's there's a multitude of reasons why I have this uh, opinion argument, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one is the statistical kind of reason. The other is that uh, kind of both parties or both candidates are the same. There's a third reason where you know even if they say, yeah, we're definitely gonna get that rock out of the way, we're gonna spring it right out of there, they're probably not gonna do it. There's a fourth reason where they probably don't have as much power as they think. The power that they claim to have is often not the power they have, and the ability to deliver on that promise is often not there. My my point is that if you can choose between being burned alive or drowned, is one more favorable than the other to you? Is there one that you think is going to be more painful or more scary or worse? If you get a choice between two things... And you think one is preferable over the other, whether it's a positive preference, whether it's a mountain of ice cream or a mountain of brownies, which one do you like more? The point being, there's two different things and you get to choose which one is more preferable, which one is better for you, then you get a say in what the majority says. But if you don't care what the majority says, if you're going to accept whatever or you're going to accept the consequences of whatever the majority says then you're either saying that they're both so bad that it's irrelevant or you're saying that there's no choice or you're saying that they're both so good that it's irrelevant. I believe in the direction of like no choice, um, no choice, no influence over the political process. But there is. You're you're talking statistically, but even if it's point oh 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 one percent, and I've made this argument with you before on other podcasts, even if it's such a minuscule percent that it's irrelevant, it's still relevant because there's still a chance. If you get a free lottery ticket, are you gonna look at the numbers when the numbers are drawn? You might as well. You got a free lottery ticket. I mean, maybe maybe this is my own personal kind of uh requirement for needing to act on something now, now of course you get a free lottery ticket that's a little different than uh having to perform the positive kind of uh action of going out to vote for something and you know looking at the candidates looking at this uh that that's that's a little different in context so i do agree that it is a uh, metaphor fair because uh, <laughs> there's, there's no winning lottery with any candidate <laughs> well you know there's there's either getting getting a pile of shit on you or getting a, a, an inch less than a pile of shit on you. So it, what I'm saying is a favor, a more favorable outcome, lesser of two evils. Yeah. I don't, I don't, 
know if that's a good game to play. I'm I'm agreeing. I think that we can come up with a better system, but we don't have one right now, mm. and we need to make a decision based off of what we have in front of us. And if you can come up with a better system, I'm sure the majority would love to hear it. But until then, we have to go with what we have. And whatever tiny, tiny bit of influence you're given, that's your power, and that is something that you should be acting on, whether it matters or not. Right. I think I think we're in agreement to a large point, except the differences are kind of affinity to the current system, where mine is to kind of opt out of it, you know, for lack of a better term. And your solution is, or not solution, your your perspective is to take part in it and to try to influence it while it's still here because it is here and it is affecting you. I'm saying it's more rational to try and influence the current system as it's here and at the same time work towards another system than to ignore the system that has an effect on you right now and not provide any solutions simultaneously. I mean, I wouldn't say that I... So this is where it gets difficult because there's many, many different problems to be you know, solved. And part of what I've been trying to do the last couple of years, the last like four or five years, is to get to a point where I am decent enough at making arguments and uh, making various points to get to various different solutions. So like I was saying before, part of the first thing is to propose or to kind of uh, make the argument, make the case that the current system is not ideal, that it's not good, and that there is probably better out there. And it's it's a sole process. And then the idea would be, because I'm not for the the uh, use of force to implement any of, these, any of these ideas. So what I'd be in favor of is using argumentation, using you know reasoning, logic, and whatever else to try to have people adopt these new solutions, wherever they be. Now... Maybe part of this is not just uh, this is kind of like a a multi-step problem because part of the thing you have to do is convince people that there another solution is worth taking up. So part of the problem I would see is maybe even even if there's another solution that is better that I have right now for say a particular problem, let's say that I have that problem, let's say I have that solution. Many people will not want to switch to that just because there's already a solution in place. The fact that it's better doesn't really matter. There's already a solution in place, and they're not going to want to switch to it. So what my whole process then would be to point out that, yes, the solution exists, but it's not a good one. That this procedure we have right now is not very good, and that there's something we should switch to. And this is, this is part of the problem with argumentation and logic and uh, just anything like that. It's very difficult. So getting to the point where you can make the arguments and influence people through you know, thought and not force is very, very difficult. It's very, very challenging, and it takes a lot of time to do. And this is something I've been trying to build up for a while. Now, have I achieved anything? No, I'm not to the point where I'm able to make these arguments. As you can see on this podcast, I'm not uh, a bit rusty with my argumentation on this topic, number one. But number two... It's very, very hard to talk about, very, very, too, very, very difficult to kind of uh, get your words into a very convincing kind of manner, especially when there are solutions to the problems and people do believe these solutions are probably the best solutions or maybe the only solutions we can have. And maybe you don't see any problem with the existing system. Why, why, get, why throw the baby out with the bathwater?
you can argue for something while still taking part in something you disagree with. This is this is certainly true, but I'm choosing not to. Okay. And I think that that's the irrational choice. And that's the argument that I'm making. But I'm definitely glad that, that we had this conversation. I think we've been going for a significant amount of time. Wrapping at this point might not be bad idea. Yeah, I'll just add that I think it'd be contradictory for myself, at least on a personal level, to say that there are solutions which are voluntary in nature or solutions which don't necessarily contain force, and then to take part in the system which implements force to solve those problems. So that that's a contradiction for me, which I'm not able to go over yet. Whether it's a contradiction or not is irrelevant. It, you can have the contradiction and you can still participate. You can, you can live in contradiction. You can be a hypocrite. You can say that this is not the best solution and still participate in it because it's the current solution. You, you have the right, and I think that it's a necessary thing to be done at this point in time, given the current solution, to participate in a faulty solution and try and influence it in a positive way while also driving towards a better solution that's going to cause larger positive influence in the future. I think you can have your cake and scarf down some shit at the same time as long as it's a little bit better shit than the other choice that you have you can drive towards cake mm. i'm not gonna vote this year see you guys next time <laughs>